Anthony and I were um, at the uh, Arsenal match last night, and um, I'd, I was sitting there, and I'd constructed this perfect scenario for the introduction to my talk. I was sitting there thinking, yeah, I know it's one else going to happen. It's going to be a tight game. It's going to get very nervous. And then Jesus is going to come on in the second half and win. (laughs) Because that's a story, isn't it, that we're all very familiar with. On the way home, I was sharing this with Anthea, saying, oh, it's a real shame, isn't it, that the game wasn't tight and Jesus didn't get to play at all. And so I can't use this illustration to introduce my talk. Um, because it would have been like a perfect segue to Acts, wasn't it? Because Acts is about what comes next. What comes after Jesus' great victory? How do we respond? Because that is what Acts is about, isn't it? It's what do we do in light of the life, the history-changing events of Jesus coming to us, His life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his ongoing ministry. The biblical scholar and theologian Beverly Gaventa writes, Acts takes us on a journey beyond our familiar borders, where passports are no longer valid and embassies afford little protection. So with that in mind, before we go anywhere this morning... I'm going to give you a short pre-departure briefing that I hope will help orientate you for the journey ahead. Are you ready? Yep. Okay, let's go. Acts is Luke continued. If it was a movie, Acts would be the sequel, yeah? These days, they'd probably make it into two movies, though. So you'd have, like, Acts 1 to 1535, and then 1536 to the end. Uh, Tradition has it that Acts was written by the Luke who authored the third gospel, a believing Gentile, and a physician who travelled with Paul. We can work out from the text, though, that Luke was well-educated and a great writer who had a deep knowledge of the Old Testament. Now, back to the the movie analogy. Uh, In terms of genre... uh, Acts would be a classic historic adventure movie. And like all great adventure movies, it has lots of action. It's got miracles, courtroom dramas, jailbreaks, angry mobs, shipwrecks, suspense, heartbreak, relationship breakdown. The list goes on. Spoiler alert, it has a sliding doors moment right in the middle where one main character leaves the stage and another one plays centre act for the rest of the movie. And like all great movies, it has brilliant characters. Characters are very important to Luke. And what Luke is most interested in is how a character responds to God and what life example, therefore, they set for us to follow or not. But it's not just the main characters who are important. Luke wants us to pay careful attention to the full supporting cast. And as we will see in Acts 2, even minor characters can turn out to have a very influential role. Oh, and remember to always pay special attention to when a character is mentioned for the first time. 
That said, out of all the great characters in Acts, the real star is God, working through the Holy Spirit of Jesus. God's defining place in Acts is made clear in the very first scene in chapter 1, throughout the book, and in the very final words of chapter 28. For this reason, Acts has the highest concentration of Holy Spirit language of any book in the New Testament. So much so that the early church father, John Christossum, which I find, still find difficult to pronounce, called it the gospel of the Holy Spirit. He called it the gospel of the Holy Spirit. Speaking of movies again, we know that to make a great film, though, you need more than just great characters, don't you? You need a great plot, and you need subplots that the characters interact with. And Acts has got these in abundance. Acts is about two kingdoms and two kings. We've got King Jesus and the kingdom of God, and Caesar, the earthly king of the Roman Empire. It's set over a 30-year period ending in the 60s. That's the 60s in the first century, not the 60s that some of us grew up in, okay, in the 21st century. And uh, next, next slide there, Tim. Tim's on. Yeah, okay. And it's an against-all-odds sto- origin story of how a minority sect of Judaism, okay, jumps geographical and e- ethnic boundaries to penetrate the Greco-Roman world in spite of the tremendous cultural, political, philosophical and economic powers that it faced. So here we go. So we start here in Jerusalem. Okay. And uh, we end up at the end in Rome. Okay. So that's the, that's the world of Acts. In terms of where it is in our Bible, okay, um, Acts has got an interesting place because it's the bridge between how we get from John to how we get to the book of Romans. And it's a great story that gives us hope. It shows us that being Christians in the, mini- in the minority, which is our current reality, never stops God's message from spreading. It teaches us that God will always work to break down the barriers that humans construct to keep others out, but at the same time respects cultural differences that Christianity is not meant to be a monoculture. Rather, it is designed to reflect the rich diversity of God's good creation. And Acts encourages us that we don't need to be a hero or a leader or an influencer or have a big ministry to be a witness because God uses us all for mission. And uh, like all great films, Acts ends by leaving it wide open for the next instalment. In fact, Acts invites us to participate in the ongoing movie franchise. And it's one that's lasted a lot longer than, say, the James Bond movie franchise, which is, uh, I'm sure some of you film buffs know, is now 27 films. Or, uh, it's a shame Jacob's not here, but the Marvel Cinematic Universe has 33 films. But it's even running longer than the longest, which is the Chinese martial arts Wong Fei Hung series that ran from 1949 to 2018 with 123 films. God's movie franchise, though, is not fantasy or enhanced reality or Mission Impossible. 
but it's mission made possible by the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. If you choose to accept this mission, you have to stop looking up and in and start looking out. And I'll come back to this in a minute. Okay, next slide, please, Tim. We are finally ready to go for this week's first leg of the journey, which is Acts 1, chapter 1, verse 1 to 2, 13. Now, Acts chapters 1 and 2 uh, act like an introduction to the entire book. Okay, it, they're like uh, an overture at an opera or a musical, yeah, where you get the, the themes that you're going to get in the, in the main production, they're introduced to you right at the start, so you're not entirely surprised about what's to come later. And also, like a, an overture, uh, they show us how the themes fit together. So I thought that was a good metaphor for our, our river values. And uh, can we remember what our river values are? Now, our values, can I have a shout out? Missional, yeah. Charismatic, too. Yeah. And generous, yeah, we got them. Okay, fantastic, it's working. You see, they don't, they don't exist in isolation, but they work together. And Acts 2 introduces them all for us. So Acts is a charismatic story, yeah, it's led by the Holy Spirit. And of course it's missional, that's what it's all about, but it's mission done in a non-religious way that leads to transformational generosity and radical inclusion. And look out for all these themes as we continue on our journey. Okay, let's start then at Acts 1 and 1 to 5. And I wonder if would someone like just to read those first five verses for me of Acts chapter 1. Anybody? Go on, Chris. 1 to 5, yeah, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Great, thanks Chris. So before we go anywhere, before we start about mission, about our witness, Luke wants to make something very, very clear. He wants us to stop and to wait and to know that this is God's story that we're a part of. It's God's mission established by the Holy Spirit. That's where we start. It's not River Church's mission, it's not Pioneer's mission or River Life or Pattisfield or an Alpha that we do or our own personal crusade. It's God's mission. And that means that while, of course, it's right to share our faith, we have to remember to share the faith. 
okay? And that is that there is and we are in loving relationship with an enduringly faithful God who is revealed through the faithfulness of Jesus and who continues to be faithful to us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And because humans reflect the diversity and creativity of our creator God, we will be effective as witnesses when we realize that there's not one size fits all to Christian mission. There are multiple approaches because this God story is for everyone. So we need to learn to wait in God's presence and ask and discern where and to whom is the Holy Spirit sending us. Who are we called to share God's story with? Okay, um, let's move on on our journey. So Acts 1, 6 to 11. Would anyone like to read Acts 1, 6 to 11 for me, please? Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After this he said, After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. I think that's the end. That's it. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Nigel. So I promised I would get back to this because it's central to Acts 1 and 2. In fact, it's central to the whole book. People in antiquity mainly look for God's presence either in the heavenlies or in their sacred spaces, like for Jews, the Holy of Holies. But here Luke is setting up his readers to expect God will be found by looking out. As verse 8 says, to the ends of the earth. God's mission is established by the Holy Spirit. And it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we participate in it when we stop looking up and in and start looking at what God is doing out. It confronts our tendency to become over-absorbed with looking up to find God in the comfort zone of our church gatherings. And those examples that Al gave were fantastic because they were all examples of God moving outside of the comfort of a church. It challenges us instead to trust God and to look out to see that God is moving in our communities and in the wider world. Stop looking up and in so much and start looking for what God is doing out there. That's what Luke is saying. And I know this is a generalization, but if we are honest, we are a church that probably feels much more comfortable 
looking up and in than we do looking out, if we're honest. And yet we describe ourselves, don't we, using Ezekiel 47.9, that we bring life where our river flows, which of course implies that we are moving, flowing, reaching out from our church gatherings to bring life and hope to the world around us. It implies that we are a people who will look out and partner with God. So we need to let Acts chapter 1 challenge us to see more and more of the opportunities that the Holy Spirit is giving us to witness. Okay, final part of our first leg of our Acts journey uh, in chapter 2 and verses 1 to 8. So who who would like to read that portion for me, please? Any brave volunteer? How about a female voice? We had two men. Kathy's. Oh, go on, Kathy. Which verse? Chapter 2, verses When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Thank you, Cathy. Tim, to the next slide, please. So not only does God uh, establish and empower us for mission, God also equips us for mission by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us the practical tools to do the job. Remember, it's God's mission. And in Acts 2, specifically, the Holy Spirit breaks down that crucial dividing barrier of language. It's the first barrier that the Holy Spirit works to break down. It's a great divider, isn't it, in the Bible language? Think about the story. So that the good news message can be understood more widely. And I believe more than ever at this moment in our culture and our time, we face a language barrier. Increasingly, we need to understand that the norm is that people have not grown up with any education or background in the Christian faith. They simply do not know most of the time what we are on about. That's the truth. So we desperately need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to communicate Jesus' good news message of love and hope and fullness of life with language that means something for people today so that it gets a response. More often than not, people just blankly ignore us because they don't know what we're talking about. 
But when we do get a response, we also need to be aware that because Holy Spirit-led mission is inherently non-religious, generous and inclusive, it can get messy responses. And we may get misunderstood. Like the disciples got a mixed reception, didn't they, to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We see that in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 2. Whilst many people will be curious and some accepting, others will be cynical. And this is another dynamic that we will see in Acts time and time again. Now, if you're anything like me, you're probably thinking at this stage that this mission thing we're all called to is starting to sound like a lot of hard work. Uh, for varying reward, uh, and especially uh, that I don't feel particularly qualified. Anyone identified with that? Well, if that is you, let me, uh, let me conclude with an encouragement. Uh, in verses 9 to 11 in chapter 2, Luke sets the scene for how this non-religious, generous, inclusive, and presumed drunk bunch of Holy Spirit-filled Jesus followers impact the people who will go on to build the first Christian churches. And in particular, in chapter 2, in verse 10, there's this almost unnoticed little bit of detail about some visitors that were there that day from Rome. And how do you think the church got started in Rome so that by the time we get to the end of Acts. When Paul arrives, there's a whole network of Christians gathering together, standing up for King Jesus and against the king of the empire. Where do you think they came from? It started on that day. It's what Luke is telling us. With those unnamed visitors, they took the gospel back to Rome with them. And that should be a great encouragement to us because you never know what that brief conversation, that one moment of boldness, that one act of kindness can achieve for God's kingdom. We never quite know the impact when we choose to share the good news. And finally, if nothing else, let's be encouraged with Luke's sense of humour. Because in verse 13, the cynical jibe of some that these people were drunk on new wine, or in some translations it says sweet wine, he uses to make the central point that all that will follow in Acts will happen because God has filled ordinary people, just like us, with the new sweet wine of the Holy Spirit. He's making a cheeky jibe with them. Because we are part of God's great story and God gives us all a part to play. You've got the next slide there, Tim. There we go. And God helps us to play our part as best we can by giving us the Holy Spirit. God makes it mission possible for us. God establishes mission. It's God's story. God empowers us for mission and invites us to participate by looking out at what God is doing. And God equips us for mission 
And I think specifically to give us the tools for the job, the language tools, to be able to communicate the good news in the day and age that we're called to. Where's Kerry? Kerry, could you... We're going to um, share communion now, um, which I think is a, a fitting way for us to respond. to what the Holy Spirit has been saying and doing and encouraging us this morning. I believe this is a time of great opportunity for us. But we have to choose to look out and to participate So as you drink the wine this morning, let's ask God to fill us afresh with the new sweet wine of the Holy Spirit. And let's ask God to help us develop a new language to communicate the faithful love and hope and fullness of life that we found in Jesus. So we share it with others. And as we eat the bread, let's ask the Holy Spirit to show us specifically where our mission field is. Who have we been called to that we can share that bread with? How can we share the life that we found in Jesus Christ with others? So as we look up and remember what Christ has done within us, which is what we do as we share communion together, let's look out to how we can respond in Christ to those around us. Let's use this time of communion as a recommissioning of ourselves to partner with God to share God's good news story 